we in the reds context we know that all of the body's systems are shortchanged based on lack of fueling and nutrition and we know acutely that there's depression and anxiety and all sorts of things happening in the moment that you're underfueled Hello, everyone. It's Jordan Boxer, your host of Leaders in Sport, a podcast brought to you by Designs for Sport, which is an industry-leading supplement company with all NSF for Sport supplements and education geared to help elevate the industry and support fit pros. Well, hello, everyone. It's Jordan Boxer, the host of Leaders in Sport, and I want to thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen to us talk some nonsense. I'm here today, actually, with one of our own uh, sports nutrition specialists, Jill Lane. So, Jill, thank you for joining us. I'm glad to be here. We're uh, we're in this really cool recording studio that we rented in Dallas. She's like, how far away are you from me? Like about 10 feet away, separated by two mics, but this will be interesting. Killer sound quality. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of our clients know who you are, but I don't know if you've ever shared how you came into the Designs for Sport family. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I feel like I was already part of the family. Mm -hmm. You know, I spent a good amount of time um, with our Designs for Health parents, if you will, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, almost about 10 years previously. So at the beginning part of my career, I was really blessed to train in a gym um, owned by a woman who was one of the first reps for Designs for Health. And she carried about a dozen products in her line that all belonged to this company called Designs for Health. And so I just by osmosis was, um, you know, this green trainer with an ex-phys degree thrown into all things nutrition. And it just became my my love and my passion. And I was really lucky to get mentored by the founders of Designs for Health and some of the early pioneers in the functional medicine field mm-hmm. and and spent a lot of time with practitioners in California and in Texas, um, helping, them, helping them grow their business and understand how to implement functional nutrition in their businesses. And, um, you know, while I was doing that in my business as well. Do you feel comfortable sharing who your mentor was, who you worked with? You yeah. said you just named her as a anonymous rep, but. Yeah, yeah, no, JJ Virgin. Yeah. I mean, I think she was really integral to me on many levels. She was kind of like a big sister, took me under her wing at that time and, you know, taught me about business. Um, she had a passion for nutrition and that really is what pivoted me a little bit out of ex-phys and training and into uh, the power of nutrition when it comes to getting results. So, um, and, and since then has, you know, helped me tremendously with her Mindshare Collective and just um, growing my own business. So mm-hmm. I definitely give her a lot of the credit for the success of my own personal business because I learned really how to run a business through her and, and her people at Mindshare because I didn't know anything about running a business. You know, I just knew that I love to do what I do and I love to teach and serve, um, but I didn't really know how to make money off of that. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be a common problem that we run into with people. Um What's what from my end? I don't know if you know. I think I told you. So I was sitting one day, um, you know, DFS just started, and I was like, we need some reps in the U.S. We need, you know, where where are we going to plug them into the U.S.? And I was like, Texas would be a great place to start. And then it was either that night or the next morning. I get a little buzz in my phone. I get a text message from Evelyn, who works mm-hmm. with DFH, <clears throat> and she's like, we were doing our summit. That's right, we were doing our summit. COVID just hit. Um, we decided to like whip together this like online summit, free of charge to our clients, just to give them some good education for that period where we didn't know what was going on. 
Um, and then Evelyn reached out. She's like, hey, would you need a rep in, in Texas? And I was like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. And then you and I had our first conversation and it was sort of, we, uh, we took it from there. So, um, yeah, it's good that we, you know, that you sort of highlighted that you've been in this space for a while. But I don't know if everyone's familiar. You were a very high level athlete yourself. Yeah, I mean, I I started playing soccer. Soccer was my sport of choice when I was like five, you know, and today's world of youth sports is kind of weird to think, you know, I played like rec soccer one year and then I went like immediately into club sports, um, which, you know, in the 80s ish, you know, that was, you know, not like it is now. I won't put a, you know, so that was a while back. But um, yeah, I played, you know, and was blessed enough to have it like fund my college career, played a couple years division two and then division one and played on the Olympic development team for two or three years Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, dabbled with some semi-pro teams at the time. So, you know, I was really blessed. I mean, I, my opportunities were from, you know, Title IX. You know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s when, you know, women's sports didn't have the type of funding they do now, which they don't have a lot, but they have more. So I benefited a lot from just some of the stuff that was happening around women's sports at that time. So um, I didn't know Jack about how to take care of myself at that time, though. I was the type of athlete, and this is kind of why I still do what I do in my personal business, that could perform at a high level when the lights were on, but when the lights were off and practice was over, I was dead tired. I had no period. Um, I, you know, could barely get through my studies. I could like sleep on command. Um, and I, I wasn't really well, I would say. Um, but no one would think that. And everybody just chalked it up to, oh, that's just, you know, what it means to be an athlete. And the crazy thing is, is that's just still what people think. Mm-hmm. That's still, especially female athletes and their parents. So I've always kind of had a love for the body. Like I read when I was in like middle school, an article in the newspaper that said, if you drink too much soda, it makes your bones weak. And I remember. So, yeah, that's yeah yeah, the, yeah. 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 So I like didn't drink soda. My mom was kind of like an armchair nutritionist. So, you know, she would do things like make her own ketchup, but she would put no sugar in it. And if you know what the main ingredient in ketchup is, it's sugar. And so it tasted like ass. You know, it was just like vinegar and tomato paste. And she tried to pass it off on us. So my mom was kind of an armchair nutritionist. And I mean, dabbled in supplementation. You know, I took a emergency ambulance ride due to anaphylactic shock due to some herbs that she gave me when I was like a senior in high school. Mm. Um, so I always kind of had this weird connection to nutrition growing up, but it was more like we didn't know we didn't know. And there was no social media then. So it wasn't you didn't know we didn't know because of confusion due to too much information. There's it was there literally was lack of. Yeah, there was nobody knew anything. You just trained and you did what your coach said and you you just did what you were told and that was it. So, you know, it's so a I've never had a soda or Coke in my life because of that. Really? Yeah. That and like the it just I've always been turned off by it. But I remember hearing that at a young age it will destroy your bones. Yeah. So I used to drink a ton of milk. But, you know, obviously we know better now. Um, and funny. So Jonathan, the owner of DFH, makes the best at home. Actually, it's probably one of the best barbecue sauces I've ever had in my life. Really? Like zero sugar, all natural ingredients. Yeah. You wouldn't think it. He's actually a really good like. uh He's a really good cook. Like he'll like deep fry his uh, like sweet potato or yams and like um, tallow. And yeah, they're so good. And then they have the barbecue sauce. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I, so there's, I've never seen anyone make Ben Prentice sit down and take notes 
the way that he did with you when you started getting into female athletics, especially around the menstrual cycle. And you were sort of, so some background, we were doing our first in-person event and Jill was speaking on youth athletics and female athletics to a group of what, 30 men. (laughs) (laughs) And she goes right into my sweet spot. Yeah. And, uh, you started lecturing about, um, just educating these 30 men on periods, like stuff that you think we would have any idea about, but all of us were sitting there and that was probably the, the one talk that people took more notes than out of that weekend. So, um, it's, it, you touched on it. It was a problem back in the eighties, but how common, cause I know you have your own practice. I know you love talking about Red Zest, which we can get into a bit and female athletics. How common is this problem now, you know, 30, 40 years after the eighties? How common is female, are female athletes not having their yeah, period? Not having their period, yeah. not eating enough, crashing, you know, can't focus at work or yeah. at school, like all those symptoms. Same, I mean, it's the same as when <laughs> I was an athlete. That's why it's just like. I can't talk about it enough because the more people who know that it's not okay, the more we can make a difference because we know that there's long-term health um, risks that come from that. But um, it's still chalked up even with pediatricians and the sports docs that, you know, you might take your youth athlete to to get a physical. Oh, you know, that's just because they're a high-level athlete. Or they're put on birth control pills I was just ask um, you that, yeah. to, quote unquote, manage or get their period back. But we know that's just covering up. Um, it's just just because you bleed every month from a birth control pill doesn't mean that the hormone symptom is fixed. So it's still a big problem and it's not talked about enough. It's an uncomfortable topic. It's like talking about your poop. It's like talking about your bowel movements. You know, mm-hmm. people don't want to talk about it. Student athletes don't want to talk about it. The parents don't know how to talk about it. They don't know that it's not normal. And if they do know and they go to their doc... Their doc's going to just do the standard of care, which is put them on birth control so they do have a monthly period and then everybody thinks it's fixed. And then, we, you know, we know that has like a, a downward spiral. So um, it's it's still a problem, you know, that it's frustrating that it still is. There's still a gap of knowledge in the medical world on understanding it. Um, doctors don't know what to do with student athletes when they come come in. They should be treating them and evaluating them very differently, pediatricians and, you know, uh, family practice docs, and they don't. So where where do you think the, um, so I got a few questions brewing, but I'll start with, where do you think the problem stems with, um, I guess, uh, like, what are they not doing properly, these doctors, when a student athlete comes in? Where where do you think the faults are starting? Where's where's, Where's the main issue? So, you know, a good, we're blessed to work with a lot of amazing high-end strength coaches Mm -hmm. and all of them start with a proper assessment before they get going with their athlete. They're going to assess, you know, joint range of motion and mobility and all this stuff before they build their custom program. And so in the medical world, there is like a health history you fill out, but I don't really think that they're trained in understanding, you know, do, do they ask you know, are you a student athlete? How many hours per week do you train? What is that like for you? There's just not, you know, a Socratic method of asking the right questions to really understand the physiological impact that this training has on the student athlete. So I think in the end, it's just lack of education and understanding that these hours that are accumulating on top of their school day and lack of steep sleep and stress and social life, how that's really impacting the physiology of the adolescents and teens in our in our population. So proper, you know, just not enough education to know the type of questions to ask. And Mm -hmm. then, 
you know, I think it should be standard of care. And I tell all of my clients and people that interact with my brand that come in that every year at your annual physical, your student athlete needs to have labs drawn for a bottom line, you know, vitamin D, B12 iron. It's not standard of care. And I tell parents, you're, you're, it's your insurance. It's your money. It's your investment. You have to kind of insist upon it. And nine out of 10 times when they get the labs back, there's one or more deficiencies in those like really important minerals and nutrients. And so lack of assessment, lack of understanding, lack of questioning. Yeah. You know, I wasn't uh, like, I wasn't a serious athlete, but I used to, um, I, th- I had delusions that I was going to be a mixed martial arts fighter when I was younger. And you're hitting on sort of something I went through where I, I took a lot of head trauma. You can probably tell when you speak to me. Um, and they would draw my labs and my testosterone would be at the bottom of the range. And I was told the same thing over and over again. Nope, you're in range just at the bottom. Nope, you're in range at the bottom. And I look back now, I was 24 in decent shape working out. I shouldn't have been at the bottom of the range, Mm -hmm. but they didn't even want to explore it because they just have this range that they follow. Um, And, you know, I think about it often where it's like, what is the negative effects in your life when you're at a developmental stage, like in your teens and you're bottoming out your cortisol or your thyroid hormone or your testosterone or all these things that should be operating optimally and no one's really there to address it? Like, what's the impact later in life? Because you didn't, you, you pushed yourself to this limit at such a young age. Like, Mm -hmm. do you, are you more susceptible to burnout? Um, do you have a harder time dealing with stress when you're older? Like, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's acute things happening, but chronically, you know, we know just from the female athlete triad and that elementary data and then what we know about REDS that it definitely impacts metabolism, hormones, Mm. um, growth and development. So you certainly can not grow as tall as you're supposed to. Is that what happened to me? Yeah, that's your excuse. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) I mean, I've had athletes come into my business who were told, which I, I never think it's like cancer. I don't think we should give people you only have three months to live. Like, how do you know? Um, I've had student athletes come in who are told, oh, you're not going to grow anymore because, you know, they see that they think their growth plates are fused. But, you know, how do you know? And so I've had a a swimmer that was 13 at the time, female athlete, no period, definitely under eating because swimmers have a a high caloric need. Um, We got her well fed and her period back online and she grew three inches. So as a swimmer where an inch is the difference between first and second place, that Mm -hmm. was huge for her. And so, yeah, you could be selling yourself short on your growth potential for sure. We know the brain doesn't fully develop until mid-20s. And so all the organs are still developing. So, you know, we in the REDS context, we know that all of the body's systems are shortchanged based on lack of fueling and nutrition. And we know acutely that there's depression and anxiety and all sorts of things happening in the moment that you're underfueled. So. I just need to bring you back a few things because um, there's some terms here that maybe not everyone's familiar with. So you talked about the triad of health. Is that what you called it? Female athlete triad. So what is the female athlete triad? So the female athlete triad um, was really kind of coined in the 90s, early 90s. And it was when they first started learning that if a female athlete doesn't take in enough calories, that they will eat, start to lose their period And if their period is gone long enough that they will develop osteopenia and then osteoporosis. So weak bones, then, you know, issues with, you know, with their bones. So so that's the triad. So the triad is the three things. So loss of period, osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. Sorry, what was the third one? So it's this, it's um, 
it's those three things. So underfueled, oh, you know, okay, impacts, okay. Um, your period, and, and then, then bone, health. bone health. And so that was the first time this, like, you know, committee came together, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, and like the powers that be, you, you know, gave it a name, gave this phenomenon. Now, at the time, they really only thought this happened in either weight sensitive or aesthetic sensitive sports. So think gymnastics, when you have to be just like a certain size or like ballerinas or dancers where mm-hmm. there's a huge aesthetic component. They didn't think that anybody else really, maybe runners, maybe some endurance athletes, but everybody else you know, didn't really fit into that model. Um, And REDS really expanded that. Which, what is REDS for people who might not be familiar? So REDS is is an expansion on the female athlete triad. It stands for Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport. And so that's like, you know, five to 10 years later, they start to notice, oh, wait. So it's not just females that can have issues with Hormone dysregulation, which is what loss of period is, and weak bones. Like men can also experience Mm -hmm. this. And oh, wait a minute, there's other things going on. Thyroid issues, testosterone issues, emotional issues, performance-related issues. So coordination, loss of strength, you know, uh, immune-related issues. You're getting sick more often. You're getting injured more often. There's like all the, you know, cardiovascular-related issues. Now there's more stuff being impacted as you would think, if you're under eating in comparison to your growth and development need and your training need. And that's really what REDS encapsulates. It's a person, usually a student athlete, but it also happens in um, adult athletes as well, is not taking in enough food to both run metabolism, and in the case of student athletes, growth and development, and training output. Mm -hmm. And so you would think, oh, the body's just going to shortchange training, but um, interestingly enough, it robs from growth and development or metabolism in it, I think, in a primal need because training is movement. So I don't know if there's some sort of genetic primal setting. It favors movement for the caloric need, probably for maybe from a survival mechanism. I don't really know. But um, it, that's what it is. Yeah, it's because I think back to when I was younger. One thing, you know, I, I don't think it affected men as much, but this idea of like, I don't want to eat too much because I don't want to get too bulky. You know, um, everyone's always concerned with how they look, especially in high school. I know later in life too, but high school, it's really important. Um, You would always hear women say things like, I don't want to train too hard because I don't want to get too bulky and put on too much muscle. Um, Do you, can we touch on that? Like this idea of like how many female youth athletes are probably underfeeding just out of this notion of like, I don't want to get too X. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I, I don't know what the percentage is, but I'd say it's very high. I think because of social media and just the the nature of the social environment of middle school and high school where your confidence and your comparison to other people and your your own like body image, you know, you're just naturally working through that. And now we add in at all things social media. And I think it's probably at an all time high now. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard a really great quote from um exercise and performance expert like Sean Arndt. He was at Rutgers and now he's at South Carolina and and his wife um, is also in the space and they work with a lot of very high-end athletes. And, you know, she was telling some female athletes, you know, you can look good in your jeans and play well by being well-fed because you just, you have to address that out front with the female athletes so that they know if you're asking them to eat more, 
they just automatically equate it due to diet culture or maybe their parents' relationships with food, which is very powerful influence on their life, that eating more equals I'm going to get bigger. Because that's just, again, that's that's our just what what we understand about food, unfortunately, in our society. And so you just it's really important to address that right out of the gate. You know, the way you're going to be fed in the context of your training and all of that is so that you can perform well. And if you, you know, and fit in your genes, you know, it's just an important thing, I think, with athletes in like high school and college to just address that because that thought will be going through their head. No, I, I, we have a producer here, actually, Aaron, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Would you be able, while we're talking to, um, I'm just curious, the amount of youth athletes there are in the United States, if you have access to Google for us. Let me see here. Yeah, so he's pulling that up. Um, so I can tell you, there's about half a million, roughly, NCAA athletes. So that's the college level. Yeah. And there's millions um, between eight and ten uh, youth and adolescent athletes in the 60 states. Sixty million children and teens aged six to eighteen participate in organized sports. Sixty million. That's double the size of Canada almost. And what I what I really do wonder as a society is. Because I do think the healthier you are, younger in your developmental years, will play out in adult life. Where, how much more productive and happy and fulfilled of a society would we have if we had proper nutrition and proper, um, like they had enough energy during these, this period in time versus what's actually happening? Because mm-hmm. that's a massive number, 60 million. Like how much more successful of a society would we have if we took if we took this very seriously, which is probably not taken anywhere near as seriously as it should be? Well, I think the amount of athletes in that age range and in those numbers that are on prescription medications for, you know, mental health and um, attention and just metabolic challenges, you know, would be lower. And again, I'm not saying that those things are bad to be on. I, I think they'd certainly have a place in time, but I think we definitely don't, um, give enough credit to the power of nutrition when it comes to wellness. And I actually don't like to use the word healthy in my business because student athletes don't give a shit about being healthy, healthy. You don't, you will never sell anything to a student athlete by telling them it's healthy for them. And that's why parents who do understand all of this struggle with their, in their own family to get their student athletes to make the right decision because how the teenage brain works is very acute. They only care about their immediate surroundings and what them and their friends are doing. If you have a teenager, you work with teenagers, you get that. And so the best way to communicate with a student athlete is to first understand what's important, excuse me, important to them. So what's their why? Are they trying to accomplish something in their sport or in their Mm -hmm. life? What is that? And then if they knew that adding this type of food, eating breakfast, you know, eating a (laughs) snack after school, drinking more water would help them accomplish that, they are more likely to do it. Because it relates to what's important to them. It's so funny. You're bringing me back to my youth and like thinking about what my diet was. It was like a bowl of cereal in the morning with milk, shitty cereal, like frosted flakes or Kellogg's with sugar on it. Then I would like go to school. I would maybe get a chocolate bar as a snack. Then I would go to the cafeteria and whatever they were serving that day, pizza, pasta, it's a ham sandwich, you know, rib day was the best day. 
and then on the way home, I would drink an apple juice thing and that was making me healthy because, you know, apples, vitamin C, whatever. And then for dinner, I'd have like macaroni and like I look at that diet that was probably so standard back then. And the fact I was able to survive through school is amazing to me. Mm -hmm. And it's probably still I know I think we're in this like little protected chamber, maybe not you as much because you interact with so many parents and kids. I'm like, people don't live like that anymore is what I think. But there's probably millions of people who still live like Mm -hmm. that. I was going to say, that's not any different than most student athletes that come to me for the first time. And I think the tendency would be, so it's like, okay, if someone's going to analyze what you just said and tell you what you were doing, quote unquote, wrong, the first thing they would want to do is tell you to to stop doing all of those things. Like, you know, cereal sucks and sugar's bad for the glycemic, juices, you know, too high glycemic. But the best approach with student athletes, and I would argue even with adults, because I would argue that healthy doesn't sell to adults either. If it did, we wouldn't have an obesity epidemic. Mm-hmm. And so healthy doesn't sell, period. So that's just a business Until note. a certain age, I'm finding. I'm finding. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think, um, I think there is a certain place and time or maybe a health event or experience. Maybe even the pandemic yeah. changes people's lens. There, there's a line that keeps coming up in my life that a mentor taught me, my, my, um, my friend, John, an old, a young man wants everything and an old man wants one thing. And that just sits in my brain. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Mm -hmm. if only I knew that at 14 or Mm -hmm. 13, like I, I'm, I, I live pretty healthy now. And like, I think I've hit a certain level of health, but it's like, imagine having that sink in at a young age. There's still so many people. And I appreciate that because I think I'm in that space too, but there are still so many people who don't understand that. I was talking to a strength coach yesterday about his own parents and their health challenges and their mindset. And they're, they're completely divorced from their health as an asset, even in sixties as retired people. So, but I think that's a great conversation, but when it comes to student athletes, especially, and how you approach getting them to be well-fueled so they can optimize and achieve their own personal goals. And then of course, set themselves up for future wellness, it's to add before you subtract. So don't take away someone's frosted flakes at breakfast if, until you have a foundation already there because what will happen if you take away their Chick-fil-A stop on the way home, their juice the, after them school? Them and their friends go get pizza every lunch. Or... Yeah, if you take that away before the foundation of the house is built, you have what more of what they need already inserted then now you've caused reds. Mm. You've caused further energy deficiency because we all know you can't take an F diet to an A overnight. That's something JJ taught me a long time ago. It takes time to get people eating the way that's going to help them achieve their goals. It's not an overnight thing. And now imagine- like Maybe a, it's getting a protein shake in after you so train. So add a protein or, yeah. shake to your frosted flakes. Add, right. um, add uh, hard-boiled eggs to your apple juice. So if I took what you told me, I'm adding because the first thing I hear. Do you think hear, I'm going to eat hard-boiled eggs? You can you know how bad that smells? <laughs> like at 16, I think I'm going to carry that in my little backpack. And... So we figure out what you can do, and that's a big. That, that's a great point. So are you going from straight from school to practice? Great. Okay, what could you logistically have with you? I mean, you had to bring it in the morning. So some kind of a bar, jerky, whatever. You figure that out. Some p- kids might eat a chicken breast in a sack. You know who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but you bring it. You know. That's a great point. You have to bring it with, but I'm adding. First, I'm Hold on. adding. You know what I actually did try? And this is something I think we underplay the significance of. And I wonder how many men and maybe women listening to this now tried it. I'm 14. I put on Rocky One. 
-hmm. He cracks the egg in the glass and he drinks it. I tried that for a while. Like I watched him. I I don't know. I I just did it. I was obsessed with those movies. I just did it. But it's like we do get influenced by what we see. It's true. Um, And yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's funny. It's like, what will they try as a a youth? It's probably what they see works. Yeah, I mean, to a bigger point, I wish we had more people of influence in the sporting space. You know, Tom Brady, I think, did maybe Mm -hmm. do a service with his, you know, movement as TB12 to some people. But I don't I don't I've never seen in any of the student athletes that I've, I've had come in that it it really moved the needle. They've mentioned that that was an influence or anything to them. But I, I think it maybe put that on the radar, you know, for maybe more adults than student athletes potentially. But so when it comes to student athletes, you add before you take away um, because they have a high caloric need. And you know what? If I and this is something I had to kind of unlearn from my functional medicine background where the end goal was to delete all sugar, delete all sugar because of all the bad things. In athletes, you have to understand that carbohydrates play a significant role when mm-hmm. it comes to training volume. And I don't care who you are. I, 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 I will not have a conversation about keto athletes unless you're of a very specific sect and you know 110% what you're doing. It's not, it's just not a thing. Student athletes need carbohydrates. And where the disconnect is, is, is that oftentimes parents and strength coaches are low carb themselves and that might be proper for them. But they're not but doing the not same output. it's not for the parents. Yeah. yeah. If you have a swimmer, if you have a youth swimmer that swims at a competitive level, they're spending thousands of calories, four, five, six thousand calories a day. There's no way you can eat enough protein. Protein is a low calorie food, has the same amount of calories mm-hmm. per gram as carbs. It's impossible to eat only protein. And, you know, we come from a group where there's a lot of polyquin influence. You can't meet and nut your way to four to five, six thousand calories. No, and even Charles, though, like I want to touch on that because I spent a lot of time with Charles and he would have carbs every meal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, but you say no carbs. He's like, no, for you, because you look like a melted candle. But... <laughs> I think the other thing we forget too is like melted candle. Basic, I know. I can't get that out of my mind. I don't now. look like a melted candle now. Um, so um, simple differences between like the activity level of how many steps that like my school was big. Mm-hmm. How many steps did I get a day walking around school? How many steps did I get a day that 15, 20 minutes to school? 15, 20 minutes back, the 30 minute walk to go get lunch, the 30 minutes back, me getting on my bike to go see my friends because I don't have a car. There's so much more low activity, like low level, um, not low level. What's the word I'm looking for? Just that low impact activity that we as adults struggle to get 10,000 steps, struggle. And I I was uh, hanging out with a buddy of mine one Saturday and we lived, we we didn't have a car where we were. And we were living almost like we were in, we were teenagers. Like we were were walking around. We didn't get an Uber. We were just like, it's a nice day outside. I did 26,000 steps. And that's probably what I was averaging as a youth. Mm-hmm. And we have adults struggling to get 10,000. So it's like this idea of their output's really high. And are they feeding themselves enough? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we do have a lot of coaches who are listening. And I, and I think what would benefit from what I saw at, at that event we did at Ben's, um, how do they start bridging these conversations around like, you need to eat more. You're going to lose your period. You we, like addressing the female, especially let's say a coach is a 35, 40 year old male. Mm-hmm. Um, how can they start having these conversations? 
like what would you recommend from your expertise? Like what's the best way to do this? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, I, I have a couple thoughts that pop into my head. One, from like a legal liability standpoint, I do it in a group setting. I think when you work with youth, um, whether it's, you know, male coach to male student or female to female or male to female or whatever, um, you have to remember just with your business hat on that you should as often as possible be having conversations in a public setting or with other people around. I don't ever meet with any of my student athletes by themselves unless until they're a certain age. What's that age? 18. So um, for again, it's just it's just the day and age we live in. So um, on the occasion, I might make an exception if it's like I'm a girl, they're a girl, they can drive now. But um, it's not a preference and it's for everybody's protection. So that's number one. Um, number two, um, I think it's, you know, if you have a variety of female athletes you work with and you're a male coach, I would say, hey, probably be a good idea. Get them all together. The first thing to do is just um, uh, acknowledge the fact that women have a really built in cool built in mechanism that helps them track their wellness every month. And to even maybe be like, you know, I wish we had that as a guy. You know, because it's a pretty cool thing. Guys don't have that. So the guy, by the time a guy knows they're in having issues with reds, you know, they could be pretty far down the path. Mm, you know, a woman mm-hmm. could be 90 days into having it's like no an early cycle. warning sign. It's like a exactly. check engine light. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So maybe just acknowledging, um, hey, you know, I wish I had that. Creating some common ground. If they don't keep track of it on an app or in their phone or in some sort of a way, that's the first thing I suggest is that your student athletes start keeping track of their period. Oftentimes they're missing periods and their parents don't know because mm-hmm. again, it's a it's a topic people don't like to talk about. Women don't understand periods. You know, you mentioned how I gave this talk a couple of years ago and the men were all taking notes. Women don't even understand their own hormones. Like I didn't understand what I taught a couple of years ago until probably a decade before that. That's after I had like three kids. You know, it's like it's just dumb. Like we don't know enough about women's women don't know enough about their own health and their cycle either. And so keeping track of your period, helping them understand that, hey, this is actually a pretty cool tool to let you know if you're getting enough energy in your body. It's not the only way to do it. And if you are getting your period, it doesn't mean everything. It's not the only measure to know that you're doing everything right. But if it goes away, we know that's a huge red flag. Um, So just encouraging that as the first starting place, like acknowledging it's a great tool and having them start keeping track and letting them know that, hey, if you miss your period for more than a couple months in a, in more than a couple months in a row, someone needs to know about it. So you need to talk to a trusted resource, they whoever get, that is. They might think they're pregnant or something and they might get scared. Sure. I mean, and it's from time to time. Okay, you miss a month. Okay, you miss two months. Depending on when a girl starts her period, the first year can be a little abnormal. But then after that, it should be pretty clockwork. And so I usually say if it gets to three months and it's missed, someone needs to know. So whoever they're comfortable talking to about it, a parent Whoever that might be, someone needs to know. And and you brought this up, actually, um, the importance of bringing the parents into this conversation. A thousand percent. So, yeah, like what, from your experience, like when the parents are brought in versus not brought in, what is the success rate? It's it's the success is very low when the parents and the athlete don't have the experience together because they need common language. It becomes that lady told me to do this. Or this lady told me to do that. It becomes a weird game of telephone and something always gets jacked up in the interim. And I'll be like, well, no, that's not actually what I said. 
You know, it's someone trying to relay something or I teach the athlete something and then they never talk to their parent about it and their parents kept in the dark. But it's also, and I'll say this, as a parent, I'm calling other parents out. There's lots of parents who just want to drop their kid off at my door and wander away. They want to divorce themselves from the, the responsibility process. they have. And they have a huge responsibility. They buy the food. They have cooked the that. food. Yeah, yeah. And so they're part of the process. And sometimes they're the problem. And I need to, I can't tell you how many times in sessions where I have to address the parent and their, their um, hangups that they have with food or the communication, the struggles that are happening, you know, are both the parent and the kid. There's, um, you know, I, I had a kid a few years ago who already had inked a contract with, the, you know, Clemson top, you know, top football player. And um, he needed to report. He had four months. He needed to report at the same weight, but he needed to drop his body fat. And so they come in, they meet with me. The mom's complaining that he never cooks his own food. He eats fast food all the time. And I said, well, who's paying for the fast food? Well, he has a debit card. Well, who pays for that? The room went silent. And so, hey, you mean you? that's part of their responsibility. So long story short, this kid crushed. He showed up and won a couple you know, championship rings while he was there. And, you know, it, it all worked out great. Is he on his way to the NFL? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think so. I don't think he was tall enough. Um, <laughs> true. I mean, this is facts. But um, but he did really well. But, you know, everybody had to take ownership of their part of the journey. So they had to understand that they were funding his, you know, addiction, if you will. And he had to learn how to cook his own food. And he took it serious because he knew he had, you know, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity ahead of him. Yeah. And, you know, one of our missions at DFS, um, or at least my mission at DFS, is to help make a healthier world. Almost like trickle-down health. Like if you influence the athletes, influences the gen pop. Um, and you see this a lot in functional medicine. Like you influence one person in the house and all of a sudden the next person's living a bit healthier and then the next person's living a little bit healthier and then the house is just a healthier house. Mm -hmm. And I think bringing the parent into the conversation, it's like, why are most of us in this industry? It's not to become rich. Like I think we want to make money. We want to do well in life. I think most of us here are really just trying to heal people and, and propel them and make them happier, healthier, stronger, all the things that we've, most of us have had to do to ourselves. And I think knowing that in the back of your head as a coach being like, Hey, why don't you bring your parents in? It's almost like you're influencing a second person now, which can influence a third person and a fourth. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in the nutrition component of it, the parents just, again, I, I just think it's a non-negotiable. You know, a lot of coaches we talk to struggle. like, well, I'm telling the athletes to do stuff and they're not. I'm like, but did you tell the parent? Hmm. Well, no, you have to tell the parent. I mean, I'm a parent of two teenagers and an 11-year-old. If someone tells my kids something to do, I have to know what that is. One, for accountability, and two, to provide them the resources to accomplish that thing. Or three, just to provide them, you know, encouragement and support. Um, you know, it's it's really important um, for the parent to know what's going on. Um, and food is a very sensitive topic. You don't know the parent's relationship with food. And oftentimes, again, that's part of the problem. Mm -hmm. They're on a diet, struggle themselves. They have health challenges themselves. So, you know, if we do nutrition the right way, to your point, what I'm telling the student athlete is something the whole family can do. The only difference is most likely going to be the difference in carbohydrate consumption between the parents, the non-athletic sibling, and this, you know, athlete training non hours. Non-athletic sibling and NAS. There's NARPs, <laughs> non-athletic regular people, and then non <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah, so you can have a massive influence. And I think, um, you know, 
it's part of the reason why I do a lot of group teaching because I know I can influence more people at one time with my time. Yeah. And so And this is something also I want to touch on today because um you, you sort of hit it like um you got into the space, you got mentored by one of the best who's ever done it with JJ. How coaches, because you know, yes, we want to help people out, but how can coaches maximize uh their time? So they're not just trading, you know, an hour, an hour for, you know, $150, $200, even an hour. It's like they're trading their time for money where they can actually impact more people, make more money themselves, have a bigger influence. So how, how do you navigate these group conversations like you were discussing? Like what got you into doing more group versus out of the one-on-one? Scale. And actually if we could pause for two seconds. Okay. So I'm back. The restroom break. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Being well hydrated has its No, it's perks. every time I fly now, if somebody here can figure this out for me, I wear silver under silver lined underwear, silver lined shirts, so I have the anti-EMF stuff because people said planes are EMF filled. I drink like a liter of water per hour and a half of flying cuz Dan Hunter taught me that one. And it's like I just it's almost like I go keto that first day, you know when you pee a lot? That's what happens every time I fly. I just sort of like Okay, so we had your pee episode, your pee thing. Now my lunch alarm is going off. It's okay. Leave it on. No, this leave it on. It's fine. Great. This is a good tool. We'll, Guys, we'll at talk DFS, why, one why of our... I have that in a minute. <laughs> we, we did an exercise with our company. I, I, I think I made everyone almost cry. It was like three hours long, like figuring out what our values are as a company. And transparency is one of them. And everyone pees. And the fact you have a lunch alarm is good. So, um, so to bring us back, we were talking about you said it's scalability. Mm-hmm. So most coaches listening um, get to, a, you know, I went to Jordan Belfort's, uh, remember Wolf of Wall Street? Mm-hmm. I went to his uh, sales training and he talks about, everyone has their own things, but he's like, there's the bum. Then there's the person who clocks in out nine to, f- nine to five. Then you have the grinder. Grinders are successful, but they've never been able to build something that's the superstar. The superstar knows how to leverage time to their advantage. Doctors are grinders, dentists are grinders, train high-end trainers are grinders. Like you make 200 bucks an hour, or 150 bucks an hour, you're making a lot of money per hour, but there's no scalability there. So can we talk a little bit about this concept of scalability and how um, you put it into your business to be able to like grow the way you were able to grow? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody in this industry, so trainers, strength coaches, nutrition pros starts one-on-one. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you almost have to. You have to get in there. You have to work with people. You have to grind away like you said you have to learn how you manage your time how you coach people through sessions how you package all that how people pay you how many times they need to come back what it takes to get success once you figure all that out and then it, you're you you know how many hours you're willing to work eight to five you know when you're a trainer I've done that you wake up at five you're seeing people at eight eight p.m and then you know you you have to at some point make a choice whether that choice comes for me it was when I started having kids And I started valuing that time in the evening. And I didn't want to work in the evenings anymore. I didn't want to work on the weekends. Um, So that was a a pivot point for me where I said, okay, now if I'm not going to work on the weekends, how do I make, or in the evenings, how am I going to, where am I going to make that money back? And how am I going to make that money back? And then I love to teach and I I love to um, speak and educate. And so it just became, okay, can I teach these people in groups is my um, target market okay coming to a group setting mm-hmm. and can I influence you know 10 people in this one hour instead of meeting with someone one-on-one and so you know I don't even know year you know 
10, 12, 15 years ago, I started doing that in the student athlete market, um, mostly by demand for me. I was working with a lot of high-end pro athletes at that time. And when people caught wind with it, they wanted to know how I could do that for little Johnny and Susie. And so I really started teaching the student athletes first in groups, not one-on-one. And then I started doing a little bit of one-on-one coaching with them. And, and now I'm back to groups. And I think the beauty of it as a business owner is I... Whenever I feel the need to do more one-on-one work, I do more one-on-one. When I'm burned out on one-on-one work, let's just be transparent. It's it's a time suck. Uh-huh. It's a burnout. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that goes into it. I don't accept any more new clients. Like, I'm not taking new clients right now. And if you want to be a client of mine, you have to do certain things. And if you don't, I won't take you on. You know, I had an NFL person text me a couple of weeks ago. He was supposed to get his paperwork back to me within 48 hours. He didn't. He's not a client of mine now. You know, because it and just I tells think, me he yeah. won't do what he's told to do. He doesn't take it seriously enough. He's a rookie. He doesn't get it yet. I would love to teach him, but I don't have the time for that right now. I think you're hitting on a really important lesson, actually, um, especially in our space. Like NFL player, NHL player, NBA player, MLB player. Like they carry a certain status that all of us want to work with. But if they're not going to respect your time and put in the work... Is it worth taking that client on? Is it worth moving on to someone who will? And people might not know this about you. And I always call you a secret weapon at at DFS. Like you've worked with NFL people. You've worked with NBA players. You've worked with baseball players. You've worked with college athletes. Like you've worked with a lot of these high. And you know, you're, you've been doing this for how long? 20, over 20 years. Right. And it's like, you've had all these experiences. um, And it's something I think people can reach out to you. Uh, who you work with and they can sort of ping ideas off you. I know you're very open to sharing some stuff. Um, but the the group training, I think, gives you and the group programs might give you the ability to say no mm-hmm. and bound yourself to someone who is like this NFL player. Yeah. I mean, full transparency. In the beginning, mm-hmm. you say yes to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, five, 10 years ago, I would I still would have said yes to that person. But you learn the hard way through bad experiences with clients and in the end, none of us want to have a bad experience with a client because, you know, what they say to other people is, oh, that program didn't work when it's really they didn't do jack and they didn't work the program. It's and But that's not what they're going to tell people. And so yeah. you have to learn the hard way to see the red flags early in the clients that call you. And I've been burned and I've I've and I, you know, you know, I still take on people from time to time. And I'm like, I wanted to say no. My gut said no, but I wanted to I knew I could help them. And so I said yes. And every time I'm like, why did I do that? And let's look at something from a marketing perspective. So one of the best books I ever read was called um, Buzz Marketing. And it talked about how it, it really focused on dentists and doctors, how 80 percent of their business comes in from word of mouth. Mm hmm. And they don't talk about this in the book, but this is where my mind went. Good influence and bad influence both travel. And sometimes yep. bad influence travels faster. So if you take somebody on, you can get really excited. Oh, he's a NFL player. If he has a bad experience with you and doesn't get the results because he doesn't follow what you're saying, he might talk to his teammates about mm-hmm. you. He might talk to other players, uh, maybe on social media. The bad influence can travel and it's not necessarily your fault because you know he didn't follow it. Right. So it's like making sure you protect your brand and your reputation. And sometimes um, it's seeing the red flags, as you mentioned, and being okay and confident enough to say no to those red flags. Yeah. And again, and in the beginning, we all take everybody because we're trying to figure out who we love to work with, how we want to work with them. 
Is this even then? You know, I started out when I was with JJ, I was just doing gen pop personal training with like weight loss and longevity nutrition on the side. I did that for the first 10 years of my career. And then there was about a five year overlap where because I just decided I didn't love working in that population anymore. Or there was too much in between the ears mm-hmm. that I had to deal with with people that I just I didn't have the training, you know, to deal with people's mental health associated with like their weight loss and all of that. And so. I had to reassess who do I love and I love athletes. And so I kind of rebranded my business and started on this journey kind of on my own. And um, you have to try it on first. And so when you get to the point where you can then start to go, okay, this is how I'm going to roll. And you get okay with saying no or that you're full right now and you refer people out, you know, it's, it's a good place to be. And when you, in, you know, what I love, what I love about what I've set up for myself, my business right now is like I said, if I'm feeling like, you know what, I got to get in the trenches, I, I, I need to get in, I want to work with some more student athletes right now, I want to see, you know, one-on-one where people are, I can do that. And if I'm like, no, I want to work on some other projects right now, I want to speak more, I want to build a program, I want to teach more, then I can do that too. Um, or if I just want to work with pro athletes and not as much students or send the students to my um, online program, um, I can do that. And so I think you know, hopefully what we've learned through the pandemic, you know, what some people had set up before, which I, you know, I think if you didn't learn this, it's really important that all businesses should have multiple streams of income. You should have multiple ways you can work with people. So whether it's supplements, whether it's online programs, whether it's teaching in groups, whether you're being hired as a consultant to teach your expertise to other experts in your industry, whether it's one-on-one work, I think you should have many ways mm-hmm. to make money in your business. Yeah. It's something I've noticed with all my... um mentors that I have in my life, like my successful entrepreneurial mentors is, you know, whether like, let's look at Charles, even who was a big mentor of mine. He had his, you know, he stopped training, but it's like, he had partnerships with X company, Y company, did his education, did some training. There's, they become a lot more Mm anti-fragile by setting up these different ways. And I think group training is a good way to do it. You mentioned supplements is a really good thing. Like, um, you know, here we tend to only deal with uh, we call them like professionals, like fit pros. So like trainers, dietitians, nutritionists, um, and people are buying supplements anyway. So if you're recommending it, why aren't you making the money right. selling supplements? Right. And so, <clears throat> you know, just to wrap it up here, um, I think some things that really stuck out to me today were one, like understanding reds, understanding this triad, um, co- having the hard conversation, how to have the hard conversation, the one phrase that's probably going to be the title of this episode is like add before you subtract. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good way to look at it. Um, so before we we clean it up, though, is there anything, any last little thing you want to get out there? I think the last thing I would want to say is don't underestimate the influence you have as a coach or nutrition pro. You know, most people listening to this are in a place of influence in whatever their professional title is. And you might be one of the only positive influences, let's just take student-athletes, that the student-athlete has in their life. Mm -hmm. School might be a beatdown for them. Mom and dad might be mom and dad right now. Things, you know, just might be tough as a teen for them. And so, you know, um, as a leader, take it seriously. You know, teens and adolescents, it's a struggle. It's hard. Mental health and all of that is real. And we want to kind of maybe us old people want to kind of talk down to this generation, but it is what it is. They, they, it's, you know, 
there's a big struggle. There's a big battle happening right now. And, and that's the gen- next generation of leaders in our world. And we can have such a massive influence on them if we teach them how to take care of themselves, how to work to achieve their goals, how to do hard things and teach them to be leaders. And so all of the work that we do in the end helps with that. You know, the tagline for my student-athlete business fueling champions is wellness, conf- um, wellness performance and confidence. For me, learning how to take care of myself was a big part of me having self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the most popular and talented athlete is the one with the least self-confidence. And so make sure that you're Imposter just... Imposter syndrome almost. Yes. Yeah. Make sure that you're leading well as a person in a place of influence. And the reason really quickly that that um, scalability is important in your business is that you as the business owner don't burn out. You can choose to do different things in your business to prevent burnout. And the reason why I bring that back up is because burnout kind of doles our light as leaders and influencers. Mm-hmm. And, and we have a lot of work to do. I mean, the fact that Reds and all of this stuff is just in the same spot it was for me as a student athlete 20 plus years ago is unacceptable to me. Yeah. And so we have a lot of work to do still. People are still By eating way, frosted flakes. Were, the 80s were 40 years ago. <laughs> 20 <laughs> years ago. Um, so um, we we have a lot of work to do. You're in a place of influence. Take care of yourself um, as a leader and as an influencer. Because um, we're influencing and building the next generation of leaders and like we're under the clock right now. Yeah. And, you know, just to touch on that just a little bit, um, you know, I, I, I have my own little coaching thing I take people through and, and I it's called the Hardy method. But I always start with why and not necessarily why like Simon Sinek, but why is in youthful and what does it mean to be youthful? It's like. When you're, when you're healthy and you're energetic and you have all these, you know, great physical attributes, but also like a youthful mind, you're able to be from a good place of influence, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. And one thing I told uh, somebody I was working with was like, he, he was talking about his kids. Like, and I think this actually is relevant to what we're talking about. Like, go watch one of your favorite high school movies when you were in high school. Like, watch Ferris Bueller. Or watch like, um, like what's another good high school movie? American Back Pie. to the Future. Back to the Future. Whatever it was. And it's like, remind yourself how you were. Mm-hmm. And then do you start seeing yourself like in Fast Time at Ridgemount High? Are you the teacher to Mr. Spicoli now? Mm-hmm. No. And, and it's like, this is how they view us. So it's like, if we know how they are, and I know it's a different time in the future, but really teenagers are teenagers for all through time. Like, even if you look at Romeo and Juliet, he was just a the crazy teenager. like, and that was 500 years ago or 400 years ago. Um, but getting into their mind, we can probably have more meaningful conversations with these people that we have influence over. And, you know, I'm 36 and I sometimes think I'm like, I forget that I'm 36. And if I'm having a conversation with a teenager, they view me as like a full legitimate adult. Yeah. And it's like, we we have to remember how they view us. Like, how did we view adults? And then... Coming from that perspective, I think we can have really impactful conversations. Yep. Super important. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could go on, but I, I think... Well, um, you're going to be a regular guest. So <laughs> um, so everyone, if they want to find uh, if they want to find you, where can they find you on Instagram? 
Instagram at Team Fueling Champions. <clears throat> I suck on social media, but I'm there. Um, my website. You don't. You don't suck on social media. I don't post a lot. I mean, um, you post meaningful things. Yeah. Um, I'm there. So you can send me a direct message. You know, I'm out and about with Designs for Sport. I'm super blessed to be on this team. It's really um, such a full circle for me. And again, back to the business and scalability. This is how I can teach others to do what I do, which helps me reach more people. Mm -hmm. And so just always be thinking of that when you set up your business model. But yeah, at, through Designs for Sport, so at, at Team Feeling Champions. Champions. What's your email at Designs for Sport? Lane at designsforsport.com. Perfect. Um, and if there's any questions you guys want in the future, or if there's something you want to reach out directly to Jill, like, please don't hesitate. Um, if you want to find me, my Instagram's at born underscore, uh, underscore boxer, B-O-K-S-E-R, uh, or I have a, a channel called the Hardy Gentleman. Um, but yeah, any questions or, or topics you want for future podcasts, please feel free to reach out to us at designs for sport, um, on our Instagram there. And Jill, thank you very much. And, uh, look forward to having you on again. So much fun. Thanks mm -hmm. for having me. No, my pleasure. Thank you again for joining us in Leaders in Sport. I'm your host, Jordan Boxer, and we just want to thank you from everyone at Designs for Sport for giving us your time and attention. We hope to continue to bring you episodes that will help pique your interest and help you elevate your career so we can elevate the industry. Thank you. <laughs>